Thanks for tuning in to the preaching and teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach with Pastor Dave Delaney. Romans chapter number nine. Romans chapter number nine is where we are. And hopefully you have your Bible. You'll go with me to book of Romans and chapter number nine. And if you found your place in scripture and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of the word of God? Romans chapter number nine. We're going to read verse one all the way down to the end, verse number five. And uh, But our time together for studying will be just verse four and verse five. We've already spent time last week in verse one, two, and three. So verse number one, and I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, And God, blessed forever, amen. It's a very, very powerful two verses. Verse 4 and verse 5, what Paul really does is he gives us a fantastic summary of what we find in the Old Testament, which leads us to understand who Christ is and what Christ has done. So when Paul says, adoption, glory, covenants, law, service of God, promises, and even our fathers, so those patriarchs in the faith, when Paul says all of that, he's summarizing everything from the Old Testament that causes us to understand who Christ is and what exactly Christ has done for us. It does more than that. It doesn't just help us to understand who Christ is and what he's done, but it causes us to be able to see Christ to know exactly what it means to be in Christ. This is really the comparison. Look at the end of verse 39 of the chapter right before, chapter 8. From the love, nothing's able to separate us, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And look how he contrasts that in verse number three, that there are those who are accursed from Christ. They're separated from him. They they don't know the love of God. They haven't experienced the love of God. They haven't seen or tasted the love of God. So there are those that are in Christ, knowing the love of God, and there are those separated from Christ, and thereby they do not know the love of God. So how is it then that we come to understand the love of God as shown to us in Christ? One of the ways we understand that is by the plain and simple reading of the gospel stories. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what will you find? You will find the story of the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus walks on water. Anybody ever heard that story before? If Jesus feeds the 5,000, you ever heard that story before? If Jesus heals the blind and the lepers, you ever heard that story before? You know that from the New Testament. You know that from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But, but what about before that? Was there anything before that that told us who Christ is, what Christ was going to do, and how we would know the love of God in Christ? And the answer is yes. Yes, there's something before that. What is before that? What's before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, here's what he says. Adoption, glory, covenants, giving of law, service of God, which is like temple worship. You'll see that in a minute. Temple worship, the, the, the promises, and even our fathers. All of these things caused us to see who Christ is, why he came, of whom, look at verse 5, of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, Christ is over all, who is God, Christ is God, and who is blessed forever. Amen. All of these things help us see who Christ is and why Christ is all of these things to us. I want to unpack that this morning, Lord willing. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the group that you've assembled here this morning. Father, friends and family. Father, some who will be friends, new friends, old friends. And Father, we thank you that uh, we have the opportunity to gather together and study your word. May it be a beneficial time in our hearts. Father, may it lead us to faith in you. Father, may as we hear your word, may it lead us to faith so we can be certain and sure of who you are and the love that you displayed for us. And we ask all these things according to the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. What Paul is giving us in verse number four and verse number five is he is giving us an understanding of just how God is at work in, through, with and among his people. So, so Paul is giving us an understanding of how God is, is at work in, through, with, and among his people. And how God has always been at work in this way. God's purposes from the beginning have been to bring Christ into this world. Okay, so we have, you've seen your outline already. You received one in your handout. So we have a lot of points to make up. I'm going to spend most of my time on the second point and the last point, And then Lord willing, we'll be able to make the rest up just by, by way of mention. But, but let's see just how it is that Jesus accomplishes all of this for us. So, so how is it that Jesus accomplished, accomplishes all of this for us, causes us to know the love of God, and causes us to know how God is at work in our lives? So notice first, Jesus brings us into the people of God. Jesus brings us into the people of God. That's the phrase in verse number four, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption. Who is it that gets into the family of God? 
Who is it that belongs in the family of God? Family is, is a very incredibly important word in the Old Testament. It is a very incredibly important word in the New Testament as well. It's really from start to finish how God is at work in his family. And you'll find the family of God residing in the church as they gather together, praise God, worship God. But God is at work particularly in one man's family. And that man was the man Abraham. You remember in Genesis, God sees Abraham, God chooses Abraham, and God calls Abraham to go out into a country, the Bible says. God calls Abraham out of a land named Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, uh, Abraham's father was an idolater. He was, he was an idol worshiper. And God calls Abraham out of that. And the Bible specifically says about Abraham that Abraham, by faith, went out and journeyed to a land not knowing whether he went. If you want to see a reference for that, you can for, for, the, for homework this afternoon. Read Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives you the beginning, the understanding of how Abraham by faith responded to how God called him and how God chooses then specifically to work through the family of this man by the name of Abraham. And God promises something particular to Abraham. And God promises to Abraham that he will give him a son. And that in giving him a son, God will, by way of that son, give him a blessing, which will cause Abraham's family to bless all of the nations of the world. That is the promise. Genesis chapter number 12. God says, Abraham, because of your faith, I will give you a son. And by way of giving you a son, I will cause you and your family to be a blessing to all the nations of all of the world. Well, the way God did that was God blessed Abraham with a son by the name of Isaac. And Isaac goes on to father many children. He fathers particularly a man by the name of, of Jacob. Jacob fathers many children as well. And then from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, you get all of this Old Testament history. And then from this particular family, this family of Jewish believers, of, of, of the Hebrews, of, of the Israelites, you get all the way to the New Testament and you'll find in Matthew chapter number one that the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes through this particular family. And God chooses to bless the family of Abraham. He promises to bless the family of Abraham by way of causing Abraham's family to be a blessing to all of the world. So how is it then that Abraham's family is a blessing to all the families of the world? Well, this, this way in particular, because through Abraham's family, Jesus Christ came. How is Abraham's family, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the Israelites, how is it that they are a blessing to all of the world in this way? Because Jesus came through their family. 
And anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith through grace is then adopted into the family of God. Now, Paul's already made this point. Go backwards in the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter number four. Paul's already made this point that Abraham was particularly, his family was in particular chosen because of faith. Look at verse number one of chapter number four. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, so, so by way of heritage, by way of, 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 of ancestry, by way of our DNA, Abraham our father, what did he find? What hath he found in the end of verse number one? Verse number two, for if Abraham were justified by works, well, then he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So, so what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That this is the way that you are brought into the family of God. You are brought into the family of God by way of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 16. Therefore, it is of faith. It is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed and not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Do you see that? So how are we brought into the family of God? You are brought into the family of God by one way, and that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God chooses in particular to work in the family of Abraham. He works in the family of Abraham because of Abraham's faith. And God works in the family of Abraham because of Abraham's faith in order that he might bless all the people of the world. That's the promise. The promise to Abraham is that I will bless you and in blessing Abraham cause you to bless all the people of the world when I send Jesus through your family tree. Genesis chapter 12, verse number three, I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, so look here, it's a very important principle. God loves all people equally. God loves all people equally. It doesn't matter what your family line looks like. It doesn't matter what your family tree looks like. It doesn't matter if your family is religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter if your family is the good family or the bad family. It doesn't matter if your family is together or broken. It doesn't matter what kind of problems you have in your family tree. It doesn't matter what kind of broken limbs are a part of your family tree. This is true. God loves all the people of the world equally. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life 
It is true. God loves all people equally. But hear me on this. God does not work through all people equally. God loves all people equally, but God does not work through all people equally. And an example of that is the family of Abraham. That God works through the family of Abraham in a way that he did not work through the family of any other person in the world. God works through the family of Abraham in order to accomplish this singular goal. To bring the Messiah into the world. Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed. And in giving you a seed, I will bless you. And in blessing you, you will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Because Jesus Christ himself will come through your family. God works through the family of Abraham uniquely. God works through the family of Abraham specifically because of Abraham's faith. And if you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ, then the Bible is clear, you and I are a member of Abraham's family. This happens in Genesis, in Galatians chapter 4. You see the fulfillment of Genesis chapter number 12. Galatians 4, the Bible reads, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Do you see how we come into God's family? We come into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ, in who he is, in what he accomplished, in what he did while he was on this earth, in his life, death, burial, and in his resurrection. That's what we celebrate at Christmas in just eight weeks from now. Dun, dun, dun. It's eight weeks away. We're going to celebrate Christmas, but what are we really celebrating? We're celebrating that God sent Jesus into the world. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham because he sent Abraham a seed which causes all the world to be blessed if they believe in him. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to the greatest family in all of the world, the family of God. How do you come into the family of God? It's not through religiousness, it's not through church attendance, it's not through offerings, it's not through civility or morality, it's, it's not through giving to the poor, it's not through helping the needy. We should do all of those things. But how do we come into God's family? You come into God's family through one way. One way. And that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your, what your earthly family looks like. Doesn't matter what your earthly family looks like. Look around the room. We all look pretty different from the other, don't we? Aren't you glad you don't look like whoever's sitting on that side of you, right? Just just glance at them. Just look over. Oh, I'm glad I don't look like you. Aren't you glad you don't look like me? Because I'm glad I don't look like you. 
No, no, no. The family of God, we're all very different, but we all have one thing in common. What is the one thing in common? We've put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the only way to come into the family of God, the only way to come into the family of God is to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God becomes your father and the church becomes your family. The church becomes your family. We are all born into a sinful family. We're all born into a sinful family. There are no perfect families. Your family ain't perfect. My family ain't perfect. There's no perfect families. So we don't come into the family of God because of the earthly family we're born into. The only way we come into the family of God is by faith. But you see how that's also encouraging? Because no matter what else your family may be going through, you have a greater family. No matter how many other problems your earthly family might have, no matter how many other ghosts you keep trying to run from, no matter how much other brokenness exists, there is a greater family. And that is the family of God, where God is your father and his love is known and his fellowship is sweet and his spirit is strong and his word is true. Welcome to the family. You may have an earthly father who treated you awful, but you have a heavenly father who has never neglected you in one way. You may have an earthly father who treated you well, but if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more should your father, which is in heaven, give to those that asked? You, you may have a kind brother. You definitely don't have a kind sister. There's no such thing as a kind sister. It's like jumbo shrimp. It's just, it's paradoxical. It does not go together. It can't be big and little at the same time. She can't be your sister and kind at the same time. But you have a family in the family of God. And God says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And once you're in his family, listen, once you're in his family, oh, all the blessings of God are yes and amen through Jesus Christ, Ephesians says. Well, you get all the good things that God does for his children. Man, every now and then my kids will run to me. This is a sign that I'm getting older. Every now and then my kids will run to me. They'll say, dad, he's doing this. She's doing that. And I'm going through my mind and I'm trying to remember which one is which one. Anybody ever do this with their kids? And I'm like, hey, uh, number three, number three, what are you doing? My name is Ethan. What do you mean? I don't know which one you are right now, but you're just like your mother. So I'm calling you her. Hey, listen, God's never forgot your name. God's never forgot your name. He's a perfect heavenly father. 
In fact, God loves you so much. Once he brought you into his family, listen, he loves you so much. He not only never forgot your name. He not only loves you with an everlasting love. He not only gives you all good things. He not only gives you every promise. It's all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He not only did that, but listen, God cares so much for you. He loves you so meticulously that he crafted you, formed you, and made you just the way you are. You know, God knows you better than you know yourself. The the Bible says that God has every hair on your head numbered. You don't even know how many hairs you have on your head. You know how many you keep losing, but you don't know how many you keep. And God loves you so much. You see why Paul says at the end of Romans 8 then? Oh, it's the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Why is the love of God? Why does Paul express it this way the love of God in Christ Jesus why does he express it that way because it's only through Jesus Christ that we are adopted into God's family we come into the family of God that's why sometimes you come to church you hear people say things like hey brother or sister you ever hear people talk like that at church how many of you first time hearing that you're like that's kind of weird why are they why are they saying that right why do, why do we talk like that at church? Because we're brothers and sisters. Listen, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ. Where God is our father, his, his word is our guide, his spirit is our source of strength because our faith is in his son. Our faith is in his son. How do we come into the family of God? We come into the family of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at number two. So Jesus brings us into the people of God. That's the first. The second one, this is as far as we're going to make it today. Does that surprise anybody? We're not going to get through the whole list. Some of you are like, we knew it. You couldn't do it. Number two, Jesus displays the power of God. Jesus brings us into the people of God You come into the family through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. But Jesus displays the power of God. Look, this is the phrase. To whom pertaineth adoption? How how do we get into the family? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Look at the second point. And the glory. So God's glory is a big deal in the scriptures. Everything in your life. The Apostle Paul says everything in your life is supposed to be working toward the glory of God. Did you know that? So whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatsoever you do, you're supposed to be doing all of that to the glory of God. Did you know that? Paul says God's glory is such a big deal that your life should revolve around it. And when you sleep and you go to work and you raise your kids and you husband or you wife or you friend or you whatever it is, you drive your car, you eat lunch this afternoon, whatever you do and you go to college and and when you play sports and when you study hard and when you apply for that job and when you raise those children, whatever it is you're doing, you're supposed to be doing all of that to the glory of God. And throughout the Bible, we'll see that God, God does all things for his own glory. 
In fact, here's what he says in Isaiah. He says, I will not give my glory to another. You read another passage. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels surround the throne of God and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full. You know what's next? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full. And you would think that it would say, the whole earth is full of his holiness. Because if they express, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his holiness. But that's not what they say. No, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God doesn't share his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. Everything you do in your life, you're supposed to be doing for his glory. So here's a question. What's the glory of God? What does it mean to do everything for his glory? What does it mean that the whole earth is full of his, of his glory? What does it mean that God will not share his glory. So the glory of God's a very important thing, isn't it? You're supposed to do everything in your life by it. The whole earth is full of it and God won't share it. So what is it? Well, glory is one of those words that we use. It's Christianese, right? You know what Christianese is? It's Christian words and no one knows what they mean. So if you had to describe the glory of God for which you're supposed to be doing everything for, what would you say that is? If you had to describe the glory of God of which all of the earth is full of, what would you say that is? If you had to describe the glory of God of which God will not share, how would you describe it? A glory is more like the word beauty than it is like the word basketball. If someone asked you, describe a basketball to me, what would you do? You say, well, it's, it's this orange ball, like 12 inches, nine inches, depending on what, what, what type of basketball you're playing. It's leather and rubber. It looks, looks kind of like a pumpkin. It's got some little bumps on it. So it's easy to grip. You take that basketball and you, you can, you can even, you can even use your hands to, it's a, it's a ball. And when you describe, define a basketball to me, you can, de, you could describe it. So that way somebody can at least, even if they never have seen a basketball in their whole life, they can at least get something in their mind that when they know that they see a football, that is not like a basketball. No, that's not, that's not what he said it was like. He did not say it was, it was this way. He said it was this way. He did not say it was brown and pink skin. He, he said it was orange like a pumpkin and, and had a little grip on the top. He said you can bounce it evenly. You can't do that. You can describe it to somebody. But if someone said to you, describe beauty, how would you describe it? The word glory is more like the word beauty than it is like the word basketball in the sense that it's very difficult to try and to define. In Psalms 119, here's what the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory 
of God. You remember that verse? How many of you remember that verse? Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are shouting, this is the glory of God. This is, the, the heavens are screaming, the glory of God. So when, the, when you see clouds, the clouds are shouting at you, this is the glory of God. And you see the sun, the sun is shouting at you, this is the glory of God. When you see the blue, expansive sky, it is telling you, this is the glory of God. When you see a golden sunset, it's saying, this is the glory of God. When you see galaxies and and stars and supernovas, what are you seeing? You're seeing the glory of God. It's God saying, this is what I am like. This is my glory that I do not share. This is what I filled up the whole earth with. And this is what you are supposed to live your life for. The glory of God. The Bible uses this word glory. It first shows up in the book of Exodus. There's a great cloud that appears and it separates the nation of Israel from the army of Egypt. The army of Egypt is running the nation of Israel down. The Bible says the cloud, the glory of God, it's referred to as Shekinah, glory of God, shows up and separates, it divides this army of Egypt from the nation of Israel, preserving the nation of Israel during the Exodus. What does it mean then to see the glory of God? What does it mean that, look at verse 4, that to, to us pertaineth glory. We well, want to know how John understood that? Here's how John understood that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse number 14. John says, when you saw Jesus, you saw the glory of God. When you see Jesus, you see what the glory of God is. When you see Jesus, when you understand Jesus, when you go strong after Jesus, when you read the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're getting a sense of the glory of God. So you could look at all of nature. You could see all of space. You could study the deepest part of the ocean. And what would you, what would you, looking at all those things, what would you be reminded of? You would be reminded of its bigness and your smallness. This is what we love to stand at the ocean and contemplate, right? You love to stand at the ocean, listen to the waves crash, and be reminded of how small you are, how big that ocean is. We're standing at the ocean this summer. Me and Jesse are about to run into the water. The the waves were four, five, six feet tall. And I said, all right, Jesse, we're going to stop the waves. He goes, okay, let's stop the waves. So we wade out into the water. We put our hands up. We say, stop the waves. 
Huntington Beach waves did not obey. They pulverized us, smashed us to the ground, flipped us upside down, drug us across the bottom of the ocean floor, then left us right on the beach laughing as they retreated backwards. Ha ha, try again. Try to stop the ocean. Try to tell the sun to pause. Look up at the sky and contemplate how big you are compared to it. And you'll begin to understand, the Bible says, the glory of God. So when it says that Jesus is the glory of God, when it says we've beheld the glory of God, what's it saying? You're understanding just how big God is, but you're also understanding just how much he loves you. Because this big God wrapped himself in human flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died an atoning death on the cross, and then raised victoriously from the grave so that way you and I could be brought into his family. You want to see the glory of God? Look at Jesus. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone has fallen short of God's glory. That's that's what Paul has already told. He told us that in in Romans chapter number three. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So so what what must that mean to come short of the glory of God? Here, here, Here it is. It means we fail to see how significant God is. And how insignificant we are. We fail to see how big God is and how small we are. We, we fail to see how valuable God is. We, we fail to see how worthy God is. We fail to see how weighty God is. We fail to see how important God is. And we've lifted up our own selves, our own ideas. Well, I know the Bible says you shouldn't, but I think maybe you should. And that was written a long time ago. And I understand it's a lie, but listen, everybody does it. And nobody's perfect. No, no, no. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in the sense that we have all treated God as if God were insignificant and we were significant, as if God were small and we were big, as if God was foolish and we were wise, as if God did not matter and we were the center of the universe for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We failed to see how worthy and big and strong and mighty and vast and wonderful and great and powerful our God is and we treated him as if he were light and trivial and small instead of the God that he is. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God sent Jesus, his own glory, to this earth to redeem us back to himself and bring us into his family. Do you see how much God loves you? You said, God, you're nothing. So God sent his everything, Jesus Christ, to show you that he loves you 
and he wants you in his family. We were the enemies of God, like sheep going astray, turning everyone to his own way. So the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I beg with you, I plead with you today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But can I go just a step farther? That's, that's, that's true. That those in the room who don't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior need to know that. But, but what about those of us who do know the Lord as our Savior? Are you doing all that you do to the glory of God? Are you doing all that you do for the bigness, significance, value, worth of who God is and what God has done? To glorify God means to make much of who He is. To glorify God means to magnify the greatness of our God. Not like with a microscope that magnifies something small, making a small object look big, but with a telescope that gives us a glimpse of something that is unimaginably big and causes us to be able to wrap our mind around it. To glorify God is to honor God's worth, to value His worth. Just, just as if I want to honor my wife, I want to honor her birthday or our anniversary date. I'm going to honor her when I could be watching the Lakers. I'm going to demonstrate that she is more valuable than the Lakers. And I'm going to take her out to eat. That's honoring her, showing her what she's worth to me. You're worth this, because I could have done that, but you're worth this to me. That's, that's honoring. That's giving glory. And it's precisely because we have failed to do that, that we fall into sin. Lewis said, sin is finding value in lesser joys, finding significance in temporary things finding pleasure in passing moments. That's not glorifying God. Can I ask you what would it look like if your marriage glorified God? What would it look like if your career glorified God? What would it look like if your academic pursuits glorified God? What would it look like for your athletic pursuits to glorify God? What would it look like for your parenting to glorify God? What would it look like for your friending to glorify God? To make much of Him, to honor Him, to magnify Him, to show Him to be great and powerful and strong like He is. In all that you're doing, are you glorifying God? We hope this was a blessing to you. For more information about First Baptist Church 
and sermons from Pastor Dave Delaney, please visit us at www.fbclb.org.